Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 14 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Emily Keller, a fashion designer who will ask you... Have you defined your relationship with fashion? Is it a passion, a hobby, or a mild curiosity? Emily tells the truth about what it's really like working as a designer and how the industry works behind the scenes. In the interview, she shares the perception versus the reality of having a fashion design job, how to figure out if pursuing fashion as a second career is right for you, and the trade-offs you may make if you choose to work for big designer names. Pay can be difficult with those kinds of comp- with the big designer brands. You know, I'm getting getting decent wage and even decent hours. You know, they they're also known for overworking their employees. Before we jump into the interview, I want to remind you, you can help the show out and make it easier for others to discover by leaving a rating on iTunes. If you enjoy this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take 60 seconds to do that. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating and thanks for your support and help. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 14. Now on to the interview with Emily. So welcome, Emily, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Tell us a little bit about who you are and what your your experience in the fashion industry has been and and currently is. Uh, So... I started, I, I've basically been a knitwear designer, so sweaters, things like that for, uh, for quite a few years. That's what I studied. I went to school at the Fashion Institute of Technology here in New York and uh, specialized in knitwear. And um, after working, working for just a, you know, a few companies here and there, after maybe, I don't know, five, six years, I... Um, I wanted to start my own brand, and that's kind of what I always wanted to do before I even went to college. I think that's what a, a lot of fashion designers dream about doing. And um, so I decided to do it. I was living in Shanghai, China at the time, and I had access to factories and a lot of uh, like yarn mills and things like this. So I was like, if I don't do it now, then I don't know when I'll do it. <laughs> so I, um, I had a really good factory connection that was a very tiny factory, and they were willing to do very small production runs. So I, I started there and I worked with this factory and formed a really close relationship with the factory manager. And um, yeah, and that was my first business that I started back in 2013. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and let's see. And then I, when, when I started that, I was still working full time for a, for a brand as a knitwear designer. And I was really lucky that they were they were okay with it. You know, I told them I was honest with them that I was starting a brand um, on my own, and that you know I was using my own factory. I wasn't using their their resources, and uh, you know I was really lucky that they they were okay with it. And um, yeah, so I did that for a few years, and I uh, eventually quit quit my job there, and I moved back to New York City and kept 
running my business, but, um, you know, it was harder cause I started it in, in China and I didn't have a, a good sense of where I wanted to go with the business. Plus, uh, I didn't like, I was kind of doing the traditional retail model, which I didn't, uh, didn't, I didn't think it worked very well. Like having inventory is very, uh, expensive and your cash flow, you just kind of lose all your, any cash flow, uh, when you have inventory. So I kind of put that business on pause and I, and I'm working on a, a new business structure right now with the same concept of knitwear and I'm working with the same factory, but kind of how we run the business is, uh, is kind of what we're working on changing and improving right now. That's really awesome. So you went through this process and you realized, okay, I learned a lot of, of valuable lessons. Things went well, some things didn't go so well. And so you kind of, it sounds like you did some restructuring to do a better job. So, um, I haven't, I mean, I I don't really know anything that you're doing with that. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, maybe what were some of the changes you made to, um, pivot and start going down a different path that, that seemed a little bit more strategic. So about what you're doing right now. Well, the, um, so with the first business, the biggest problem was definitely the, uh, the inventory and it was all self-funded by myself and my partner. And it was difficult. The, the most difficult part was having inventory, but also when we would go and we would sell, uh, I sold directly to, I would do a lot of like designer markets outside, you know, that kind of thing. So it was good because we got to talk to potential customers face to face and hear a lot of feedback and, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, I really like this style, but, you know, do you have another size or do you have another color? Or I like this style, but the, the neckline is maybe too low or too high or the length is too low or too high. And everyone, you know, you really know that it doesn't matter how much time you spend designing a garment. Everyone kind of has personal preferences and there's no really right or wrong of designing. And um, so... For the new business, I don't want to say too much because it's it's a very new concept, and I, I um, that we're working on, and you know things might still change um, as we as we develop. But so we're basically working on a, a model that um, gets rid of this like set inventory, so we won't really be holding on to any inventory, and um, we won't have any money tied up in that. So so yeah, just kind of restructuring the business so that we make a product when someone orders a product. Um, and just keep it a lot more sort of like lean and streamlined uh, for our finances and and for the customer to have a better sort of customer experience. That's kind of what we're working on. And so, I mean, there's so many things I want to kind of ask you about, but I guess to start, um, did some of these ideas come, like, did, did you see some of this stuff in your full-time job roles that you thought I could do a better job or I see that this portion of the business is broken or, I mean, I know you said you wanted to have your own line going into fashion from, from the very beginning, but then once you got exposed to working at a full-time job within a knitwear company, did you start to see like some of the ways they were doing things and think, okay, this could be done better or like how much of it was really inspired from your experience as a designer? Um, it's interesting. I mean, working for companies, you, you do learn a lot about how businesses are run. Um, and yeah, of course you, you think, you know, here and there you're like, Oh, I could do this better. Or, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, you kind of think things along the way, uh, that like, well, why aren't we doing it this way? Um, and 
it's it's been it's been interesting because you think that before you start your own business, you know, you're working for other people. You're like, oh, this looks so easy. Why can't we just do this better? Why don't we do social <laughs> media better? Why don't we uh, make this design more interesting or or a little riskier, a little crazier, you know? And then, you know, you, but you start your own business, and then you you kind of have to make those. Uh, you kind of have to learn the hard way. You have to make those mistakes on your own. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but now, so now, you know, then you sort of realize, like, oh, now I see uh, why we didn't do things certain way, certain certain ways in those companies. And also, it's different having being a startup business and and being an established business. You know, like the established businesses that I worked for, it, it's very different from a startup, like how they run and how they operate on a day to day basis. Sure. So. Now I'm very mindful of that. Like, okay, I understand it's there's a lot of protocol and regulations in big companies, um, and things can't be changed as quickly. And 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 a lot of the time, there's a reason why uh, they don't do things certain way. You know, they've they a lot of those companies have done their research on things, and um, and for the most part, they they do know what they're doing. You know. <laughs> <laughs> And so, okay, so something else that's like really, really fascinating about your story is that, um, I mean, you had this opportunity to, to live and work in Shanghai and you found this factory that like does these really small orders and minimums. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about like your experience with that, because I think one of the, not, I think one of the assumptions, and I think it holds fairly true to manufacturing, offshore is that the minimums are really, really high. And so, you know, what did you see when you were over in Shanghai and China? What did you see in terms of, you know, are there these small factories who want to work with these smaller startup designers and these smaller brands? And it's a matter of like the challenge of matchmaking, like where do they find the right startups? How do the startups find them? And you maybe somehow tripped over them because you were there locally. But like, what was your experience in terms of you know, factories offshore wanting to do this work with you and these small minimums? Um, I mean, my experience, there there are definitely a lot of factories that um, are not operating the traditional way of looking for really big orders. So yeah, it's definitely a matter of just finding that right partnership, like matchmaking. And I got really lucky and found a factory that uh, I was able to work with really well and communicate with very well. You know, the other part obviously is communication. You kind of have to find a factory that uh, either speaks English or you have to speak Chinese or, you know, so there's, there are definitely a few barriers of language, culture, expectations. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of small factories in China that are, are sort of very forward thinking and thinking about the future of fashion and understanding that mass production is not, not where fashion is going, mm. you know, it, it's kind of, we're kind of going away from that of these, you know, a hundred thousand unit orders and things like this or, or much higher. Um, and even, even, even things like 300 unit orders are even kind of high, you know, things mm -hmm. like this, people are understanding that, that, um, if you find the right people in China, that they also, you know, are, are thinking like we are here where it's, it's just changing. Everything's changing very quickly in fashion. And if you can find those people that, that are seeing that or believe what you believe, uh, it can be an amazing partnership for sure. Yeah. Which is what you found with your factory. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I found a great factory located right in Shanghai and, um, 
I've known them now since 2013, 2012, something like that. I've um, known the factory manager is a great, a great guy and, um, and a great friend now because we've, you know, we've worked together. We've helped him set, you know, sort of expand his factory. He's helped us like set up our businesses and, and get inventory. Um, So it's been a really sort of like mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, that's really cool. I don't hear, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, you were in a unique situation and had a unique opportunity to be over, to physically be in Shanghai for a couple years, right? You were there? Yeah, I was there. I lived there for about three and a half years. Yeah. So like a nice extended amount of time to make the relationship, get the contact, build, build that partnership, which you know, many designers don't have that opportunity. So, you know, I don't know how much you're going to be able to answer this question, but like if I was a designer and I wanted to try to find a factory to partner with on that level, um, and I guess arguably, and and this is up for debate and could go a lot of different directions, arguably if you could find someone in, um, you know, locally to do that, you know, we're here in the U S or wherever you are locally, but let's say perhaps they don't have the technology, the machinery to do those knits, um, cause I know that's definitely a limitation stateside and it's changing. Um, but, but how, w- what would be some ideas you would have if you have any for a small designer to find maybe a specialty factory to do some of these smaller minimums, um, offshore would, would they just go, book a trip and go over there and, and line up some meetings beforehand? Or where would you even start to find these people that, that want to partner with you and you want to partner with them to, to explore that relationship? Um, it's hard. I, I think there there are different ways to go about um, doing that if you really want to find a, a part like a factory partnership in China. Um, probably, I mean, there are obviously, you know, it depends how much money you have to. There are obviously trading companies. And that's actually I worked for a trading company when I lived in uh, Shanghai. We worked with a lot of brands in the US and Europe, and we would connect them with factories mm. uh, in China. And so one way is, you know, a trading company, if you have enough money for that, that's probably the easiest way because trading companies have all the connections to tons of factories. Mm -hmm. But if you're like an independent designer that uh, doesn't have a lot of money, it's a lot more difficult. Uh, I would say taking a trip over there can definitely help. But before you go, you would want to try to connect with some factories to plan some visits. And a a lot of them will uh, let you plan it and come and take a tour um, so either LinkedIn, you know, there's a lot now on LinkedIn, uh, you can reach out to different factories or managers on LinkedIn, or obviously if you know friends that have been to China or have lived in China, that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody, you know, anybody that has a list of factories that, you know, is, so it's, it's hard because you already kind of have to be in the industry if kind of that way or know people that are in the, in the industry that have those kinds of resources. Um, but if you can find them, you can, there's a lot of factories that would love to like have you come and tour their factory and talk to you. Yeah. Uh, you just have to, yeah, it's, it's hard to know how to find them though. Living there definitely helps because you have the time to meet local people, local people in the fashion industry that can, you know, connect you with factories and other people and, uh, living there is a huge advantage, but if you don't live there, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot harder. Yeah. 
but doable. I mean, I think it's just a matter of like the legwork, doing the research, reaching out to anybody who you know maybe has um, something to do with the industry and seeing what they know or what contacts they have and just kind of doing that research to connect all the dots to find those couple places that are worth a visit. Exactly. Could, yeah. Just just like exhausting your resources, just asking everybody you know that might have any connection <laughs> to China, <laughs> basically, yeah, and setting it up, planning it all first, and then and then you know making the trip. Yeah. Well, I like how you say that because someone else once said to me um, in relation to like kind of starting their own thing, they said, tell anybody and everybody you come into contact with your story and about what you're doing. You know, come up with your two sentence, quickie, 30 second elevator pitch. And anytime you like meet someone, come into contact with someone or at a cocktail party or any type of event or whatever, just hanging out with friends, talk about that because you never know who knows who. I have a friend who that's how she, she got her product featured on Oprah and she just happened to meet the right person who knew the right person and then sent a sample in and, you know, just like you said, exhausting your, your network and just throwing out your, your 30 second elevator pitch to everyone you come across because they, they may go, Oh, you know what? I know this person that this thing, let me make an introduction. That happens all the time, but you have to talk about what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Oh, all the time. And even at places where you'd least expect it, you know, mm-hmm. you're just out, you're out with friends anywhere doing bowling. It doesn't even matter what, yeah. you know, you might meet someone. <laughs> and, you know, then I've definitely had that happen where I was at like a, a dance event and I was just talking to a friend about my, about my new business that I'm working on. He's like, oh, I know this, this uh, investor guy, he sold, he already sold one business. He's on like the tech, tech side of things. And he's looking for a new business to invest in, uh, and, you know, things like, and yeah, you just never know. So you just, yeah, you mention it really quick, 10, 20, 30 seconds of like what you're doing and yeah. you never know. Someone's like, oh, I know someone who might be interested in this. And yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. That's where some of those, the greatest relationships come from, I think, like at those random barbecue events and you never know what connection you'll get there. Um Okay. That's fantastic. I'm really excited to kind of follow you along in your journey. And I know you're still kind of at the beginning of, of this new venture you're, you're doing. Um, but that should be a really fun process. Um, so I'd love to, um, you know, you and I chatted before and I actually, um, read an article of yours on LinkedIn and I'd really love to kind of dive a little bit more into this, both from the perspective of working as a designer for, as an employee, like uh, that you did, um, like you did in New York city and also as it relates to having your own brand. And that's just sort of like the realities of working in the fashion industry. Um, I mentioned to you previously that I've had, um, multiple people say to me, you know, I'd love, I would have loved for someone to tell me and talk a little bit more about what, having a job as a designer is really like, because there's some differences between the perception and the reality. Um, and you outlined it really well in an article and I know you have some great thoughts on this. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about, um, your perspective on, you know, what you maybe thought you were getting into and then what you really got into. Uh, so for myself, I think, uh, I was actually thinking about that and, you know, I didn't really know when I was younger, but let's say before I went to fashion school, I, um, I took like, I did take a fashion class in high school just to get a sense of like what it was. And I thought it would give me a better chance of getting into a, a fashion school. What kind of class and, uh, was that? And I'm, that's it, interesting that they offered that because I don't think many high schools offer that. That's true. Probably not a lot. Do, yeah. I was really lucky. I, uh, I actually, 
I was living in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I went to high school in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I went to I went to Skyline High School. But actually, my high school didn't have this course, but we were allowed to go to other high schools oh. for like special classes during my I think it was during my senior year. So I would actually drive to another high school for this one period, and they would kind of give me like enough time. I think like before or after, I would skip like the period after sure. um, to drive back to my my homeschool. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> That's really like, cool. Like, yeah. So, so I, yeah, I got this great opportunity to take this fashion class at, at another high school. And, um, you know, I just figured it would give me a better chance of getting in to a, a college. And, and also for myself, of like, let me see what this is really about. And, you know, we learned a lot of basic things in that class, like draping, a lot of draping and sewing, nothing knitwear related. But um, it was a really good intro. And we got to do like a little a runway show at, at, you know, at the end of the year of that class. Um, yeah, so th- I, I got really lucky in that respect. And I think that gave me a good sense of what I was getting into for college. And the only thing I really knew about fashion before I went to school was that I really, I really liked the creative side of it. I really liked the artistic side of, of designing something that goes on the human form. Um, and that was just sort of the medium that I chose. I liked being creative. I liked other things like art and sketching and even architecture and interior design. I was kind of into all of those things, which are kind of similar. Um, but then I really liked the idea of using the human form as, as your canvas. And that's all I kind of really knew about it. And so, you know, I went on and took the classes. And I'm a very technical person, like analytical. So... The whole pattern making classes and things like this did work well for me. Um, and I'm, I'm a very like academic person. So I did, I always did well in classes and I liked that in classes they you know, they give you a lot of tools, especially at FIT. They, they have a lot of technical classes teaching you how to, you know, use all the computer programs, how to do pattern making and sewing correctly. A lot of the technical skills where I've heard that for example, like Parsons School of Design was always kind of like our rival fashion school here in New York. Mm-hmm. And I've always heard that Parsons was more focused on conceptual design, mm. which which is always which is good too. You know, it just depends who you work for and what they want. But you know, I heard that they learned less less programs and they were more taught <clears throat> how to like design in a conceptual manner manner, which is probably better for more of like the high end designers. Um but anyway, so FIT is very technical. So that worked well for me. And I really liked it. You get you learn a lot of really solid skills. But then when I when I graduated from FIT, uh, everything sort of changed. When I started working, it was sort of a big eye opener, what you actually do in a job. And it was difficult for me. I had a hard time transitioning from college to working because working just wasn't fulfilling my, my creative, like it wasn't challenging me. It wasn't, it wasn't very interesting. And I was really shocked that I needed a degree to even do some of the things that I did. Wow. Wait, okay. So I'm going to let you keep talking, but like, I I have a million questions I want to ask you about that exact moment, (laughs) but keep going. I mean, that's it. It was just, it was just a hard transition and I didn't realize you know, you just don't realize until you start working that like it's how it's going to be. No one really tells you 
Uh, no one shows you, you know, in school, you're just, you have these classes and you're just learning things and it's, and it's great. I love learning new things. But then when you start working, it's, it's, you know, especially when you're lower level, you don't have any, you don't have really any creative freedom. So everyone's telling you what to do, which is fine. That makes sense. You know, it's your first job. People are telling you what to do every step of the way. And, you know, I had, I had patience for that for a few years, for quite a few years of like, okay, you know, this is just, you kind of have to, this is just how it has to start. You, you know, you have to learn, even though you think you learned in college, you have to sort of start learning all over again at your first job of how it is working. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I did. And then I started looking at the people above me, you know, okay, so who's my boss and who's their boss and what are they doing? Is that what I want to do in five years or 10 years? And I really thought about it uh, and watched what they did. And I kind of realized that, no, that's not really what I want to (laughs) do. I don't really want to be that person, uh, you know, in five or 10 years or have that job. So I started really, um, you know, that's when I started really thinking I really need to just try to start my own business, whether, you know, it's something I'll regret if I never do it. Um, so yeah, anyway. Okay. So like when you were in school and you, I I mean, I would imagine you had some type of mental picture of what you thought your job would be like, what did that look like? In school, it was more of like probably what we were doing in class. I think I thought that it was like, okay, we have like illustration class where we spend the whole class sketching, drawing figures, drawing collections, like very cohesive collections that we put a lot of thought into these collections and the color story and the inspiration and the patterns and the fabrics that you use. And you, you know, create these really gorgeous collections and, you know, and even things like, okay, I thought maybe I would be, um, also, also doing things like Photoshop and illustrator, but doing, having more creative freedom when using those programs. So I thought, I mean, I thought, you know, like any, like anybody else thinks that a fashion designer does, which is like, you think people design collections, but actually a lot of us don't, you know, but that's what I thought. That's what I thought when I was, I was like, oh, you know, you help or okay, I'll I'll assist someone else in designing a collection, but you think that you'll have some say, or you'll be doing something kind of creative or, um, I don't know. It's just. I th- I thought, yeah, I thought it would be very different and not so, you know, when you get into the industry, it's very technical. Everything's on computers. You're doing tech packs in Excel or like web PDM and, you know, you're doing prints in Photoshop or maybe Illustrator. You're doing CADs and everything's very technical. And, and, you know, it's the industry moves really quickly. So you, you just don't have a lot of time either to like sit and think about a beautiful collection, you know, they don't really, uh, companies don't really give you that kind of time. So it's just, and it's a lot of it's based on data and sales. So the things that sell well, that's what we just repeat in a new color in a slightly different pattern or, you know, uh, it's a lot of it's very like data, data driven and fact driven, which makes sense. You know, the company has to make money and they're going to do that the safest way they know how, which is what's already selling really well, you know? Yeah. But like you said, um, I mean, it sounds like you didn't really see 
in your experience, there wasn't an opportunity for you to have any creativity or input. And that was a challenge versus what you thought you were getting into. Yeah, it was hard. It was definitely hard. And I think, you know, and I think there, there are some, I'm sure, very creative fashion design jobs. I think I just didn't come across them. And, and sometimes I wonder if it was my fault. You know, when I first chose my internship for in our, in our last semester of our senior year, you know, we have like this internship class where we, you know, we go, we have a real internship with a company, but it's considered class. You get class credit Mm -hmm. and you have to kind of keep a journal through the whole, through the whole internship. And, um, and anyway, from that, when I first chose that internship, I, I chose that internship that I got class credit for because it, because it paid money. So basically, I always, which I thought was a smart idea at the time, I always uh, followed where the money was. So whoever offered me more money, that's what I chose <laughs> to do. Because I, I thought that was a good idea. And, and even now, I don't think that was a bad idea. I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah. And obviously, the companies that tend to pay better are are not not the designer, not like the runway designer brands. You know, I, I, I interned with like a, a few designer brand names and they always either didn't pay or didn't pay well in internships. Um, it, that's just not usually where the money is, you know. So so I don't know, maybe if you I think if you focus on where you what kind of company you want to work for in the long term, th- those are the kind of companies you should be interning for, because you can easily sort of what is it called pigeonhole yourself mm-hmm. of you interning for certain kinds of companies. And those are just the kind of companies that you're basically going to end up working for. So if you, um, you know, if you intern for like trading companies or things like that, then you're probably going to be working for like big trading companies. Or if you intern at, um, you know, Alexander Wang or Philip Lim, then you have a better chance of working for those kinds of companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they all have positives and negatives of of it. But obviously, I didn't realize maybe how different the job description would be or the daily tasks would be um, compared, you know, in, in different kinds of companies. So, so I don't know. You know, I think I was just a little bit unlucky with not finding the really creative jobs. I mean, I'm sure they're out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I mean, this is a little bit um, just my from what I see in the industry from from the various stories I hear. Because um, I personally don't have any experience working for a brand in New York City, whether it be a really high glamour type of big resume name brand, you know, like Philip Lim or something, right? Like you said, versus one of these less glamorous jobs um, that sounds like maybe is what you went into with your internship. But what I see and hear is that even beyond the internship, the less glamorous jobs are, and this is a blanket statement that people might get really mad at me for saying, (laughs) and, and there's obviously always exceptions to this, but as a blanket statement, some of the less glamorous work may tend to pay better because it's a little bit less desirable versus some of the worst stories I've heard from designers about these painfully low rates that these New York City fashion jobs are offering come from the highest end names. And it's because 
those brands know there are so many people dying to work for them to get that line item on their resume, to have those bragging rights, to get that experience that they're willing to do it for a lower rate. So again, big blanket statement, but something I think to think about in the long run too. Um, Yeah, no, it's, I think it's definitely true. And that's where like, when I say I, I went after the money, yes, I ended up interning and working for like unknown companies, either smaller, very tiny companies or, or trading companies that, that did like private label and produced mm-hmm. for other brands. You know, I, I ended up going into that route because that route is what I saw paid me mo- me money. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, definitely the, the designer brands it's it's harder because they, everybody wants to work for them and they could find, you know, if they, if they could, you know, because of labor laws and stuff, they can't, but if they could, they would just, they wouldn't have to pay anyone. They could mm-hmm. find people to work for them for free <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, so that's definitely an issue, but then, uh, and I don't know, you know, again, it's mixed. I've had, I've had some friends that do work at the bigger names or the designer expensive brand names. And, and when I talk to them about it, some of them say it's similar, like it's not very creative. Um, Mm. and, and some of them say it is, you know, so I, I think maybe there's a better chance of creativity if you work for those brands. But, but yeah, you, you know, you have to watch like being taken advantage of and not getting the money that you're worth. That happens a lot with those brands. So that's the thing, you know, it's, there's positives and negatives to, to all these different kinds of companies, but just finding what works sort of best for you, uh, in the end, you know, just knowing, you know, having as much information as you can and knowing like, okay, well, it seems like these kinds of businesses would work best for what I'm looking for, be it, you know. Uh, money and respect or be it creative freedom or <laughs> whatever is important to you it's uh it's hard to kind of get all those things in one yeah it is and the other thing i think that's important to look at is that there's a lot more of those sort of no name brands out there than there are of like the big name brands so i think if you just look at the amount of opportunity there's a lot more of that and i don't want to say no name is in a bad way but like not the huge you know, huge brands that everybody knows worldwide. Um, yeah, definitely. So, so something you said, um, okay, so you, you had this concept in, in college that you were going to be, you know, designing these beautiful collections and having all this creativity. And then you got in there and you realized like, I'm not really doing that. I'm doing a lot of like production line work. Like you're working on tech packs and, um, you said something in, I think it was in the article. You're like, you know, they handed me this like Paisley pattern and they're like, just, mm-hmm create this, make it 30% smaller. So you're just like reproducing stuff that someone else was giving you a little bit of direction on. And that was not really fulfilling. Um, and so then you looked beyond, you said, okay, well, this is where I'm at right now in this, in this role, in this, um, position based on where I'm at in my career, but like, where would I, where would I be in five or 10 years? And you looked at those people and you said, that's not really attractive. So like, what did you see? Like, what were they doing? And how did that like surprise you? You thought maybe the creativity is at the end of the line, but it sounds like you didn't really even see that. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the bosses that I've had, uh, they also don't really seem to be doing anything creative at all. Uh, they tend to be, and I've worked for, I've worked for trading companies. So this is companies that work with other brands. So we do a lot of like private label where we uh, support the design team on a, on a brand and we help them, you know, order production in China. But then it's not under our name at all. It's under the, the brand name. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just sort of help support all that. 
And the, so the bosses that I've had is they, they kind of do the same thing from, but from a higher, from, from a higher level. So they do a lot of, um, talking to our customers, our private label brands and, um, just doing what they want. So it's again, like even my boss is not making a lot of decisions. They're talking to the, our customers, which are the other brands. And they're like, okay, this brand wants us to do this, this season. Okay. This brand needs to see this, that they have this inspiration for the season. So they want to see these kinds of swatches and colors. And, and they, my boss would just sort of put together what the brand wants to see for like the meeting, Mm. uh, things like that. So uh, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's, there's not, I just haven't seen a lot of creative freedom anywhere in the chain. Mm-hmm. I think when I interned, uh, I interned for a uh, like designer name and obviously designer names, you know, you have like the creative director that is doing, you know, if you get to that level, then yes, I'm sure you are making some like very conceptual design decisions mm-hmm. that are very <laughs> exciting and you know but it, it being a creative sort of like a creative director of a really fancy designer brand that's there are not many of those jobs and getting to that level takes a really long time um so yeah I don't, I don't know and so then kind of different because of the the trading company experience is obviously very different than working directly in-house um, on the design team. And so what were some of the differences that you saw when you were working for that designer name as an intern on some of the, just the processes and creativity on a like lower level intern level versus what you saw at the trading company and some of the roles you were in there? Did you see any differences? Yeah, definitely. In- interning for the designer brand was, it was a lot more interning. It was a lot more creative and hands-on. So I interned as a knitwear intern. And so I got to do a lot of like swatch development on knit machines. They had a, a little studio in Brooklyn that had the, like these hand knitting machines. So we got to go there with inspiration in hand that, you know, our, the knitwear designer gave us, us interns, we got to go to the Brooklyn studio and just make like fun swatches every once in a while. We would spend the whole day there. And, and it was actually, it was actually pretty creative. The, the internship. Yeah. That sounds um, really fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And we got to watch and in the office when we were there in the office, um, you know, we got to watch like the print designers doing really cool stuff on in like Photoshop or whatever program they were using. You know, they had like specific print designers just working on like the patterns, like, you know, like textile designers. And, um, it was actually, it was actually a much more creative environment. And they even had, uh, one guy that was a, he like hand painted fabric. Mm. So it was really cool. So he would hand paint these fabrics and I think they were for the, uh, like the runway shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause obviously you, that you can't really mass produce that kind of stuff. <laughs> But it was really cool. So he would develop like art, artsy like patterns and prints by like painting on these fabrics. Um, so yeah, I mean, from what I saw, it was a lot more creative than than like the trading companies or uh, or the or the small businesses that can't afford to you know hire these kinds of people. Um, the design creativity was pretty. It was pretty good. And but, so yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. 
But yeah, so, but that's the thing. But then, you know, like you said about the pay, then the pay can be difficult with those kinds of comp with the big designer brands, you know, I'm getting, getting decent wage and even decent hours, you know, they, they're also known for overworking their employees, mm -hmm. you know, doing 10 or 12 hour days. Uh, same thing, because you, you can take advantage of them when you're, uh, when you're a big designer name. Yeah, people, people will, you know, people will just sort of take it just to have that name on their resume sometimes. And so you had that experience and it sounds like creative, uh, creatively, it was very fulfilling. And so, um, I know you mentioned earlier, you kind of chased the money. And so like when in the timeline was this experience, did you do that before, after the, the paying internship at the trading company? And then when did you decide like, you know, what, I'm going to go after this versus, um, going after a glamorous name that might give me more creative outlets, but you know, when did you realize that was the, the differentiating factor? How'd that all happen? Um, so I started, I did a lot of internships um, throughout my time at FIT. You know, every summer, basically, I would try to do an internship. And so by the time I did the internship for my class, uh, my senior year, I had already done two or three in other internships. And I already noticed that that was a trend. Mm. I had already noticed that small companies will basically pay you like an hourly rate as an intern. And big companies either won't pay you at all or they'll pay you like, like a stipend for your travel and maybe your lunch. Um, and so that's why I chose uh, for my senior year internship, that's why I chose um, like a smaller company that paid money because I had already kind of realized that. And so I did that internship and it was great. You know, I got to make a little bit of money and get experience. And then a lot of internships can turn into jobs or that's kind of what you hope, right? You kind of hope that your first job, because yeah. you graduate, you graduate your senior year. And that's when I finished the internship was like May of my senior year. I'm like, okay, guys, do you want to hire me? <laughs> that's that kind of thing where you're like, okay, now I need a job. Hire me. And they were like, uh, yeah, no, no, thanks. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's sad. Okay, now I actually have to go look for a job. And, uh, and you know, that was fine. They were a small company and whatever. I think they just didn't need me. I don't think I did, like, a bad job. I think it was just that they didn't, uh, they just didn't, you know, they didn't need to hire me. They were really small and, you know, couldn't afford another person. You know, sure, how it is. Sure, And, um. So I was like, okay, fine. So I I had a little bit of trouble finding a job. I went on a lot of interviews right after I graduated. And, and that's another thing that nobody tells you about is when you go on interviews and you have no job experience, <laughs> people don't people don't treat people don't treat you very well sometimes. You know, I, I went on I remember I went on this one job interview where they were like, this lady was like Oh, you have, but you have no job experience. I was like, yeah, but I, I've done like, I've done like three or four internships. You know, I was like, that's what the internships are for. Yeah. So you get job, you know, because you get job experience. She's like, yeah, but she's like, it's different. She's like, those are internships. She's like, you don't have any real job experience. And I was like, I was so confused. I was like, cause she's the one who called me in for the interview, you know, like <laughs> I sent my resume and my portfolio and I was so confused. I'm like, what do you want me to tell you? You probably should have seen that on my resume. I don't even know why I'm here in this office. Yeah. If all you're going to do is tell me 
that I have no job experience. It was just the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> and that was like my experience of like going on interviews, um, like for my first real job. And I was like, and I was so confused. I was like, that's what the internships are for. So you look like you have some job experience without, you know, actually having a real job. Well, yeah. And I mean, I've heard a lot of people say it's like, how are you supposed to get the experience if no one will hire you without the experience? It's like this exactly. chicken and egg thing, right? Exactly. Um, it's exactly that way. It's really <laughs> hard when you start. Nobody wants to take like the first chance on you. Like nobody. <laughs> Unless your internship turns into a job, which does happen sometimes, but it didn't for you. Yeah. And so yeah, you like yeah. went on all these really frustrating interviews and then just finally landed something or what happened? So then I... Yeah, I got an opportunity to do, I actually just did another internship. So I, I was invited to do an internship at this designer brand then because they saw my senior runway show. They mm. saw what I uh, had presented on the runway, like the, the, I forget what she was, it was like the VP of design of the designer brand saw what I had on the runway at FIT when I was graduating and she then invited me to do an internship after I graduated. So, and I was like, well, okay, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> this whole job thing's not really working out quite yet. <laughs> I was like, and I thought it was kind of weird. I was like, well, it seems kind of weird. Like I graduated. I feel like I shouldn't be doing internships anymore. But, but I was like, well, you know, I need to be doing something, I, you know. And I was like, I can do this part-time while I, you know, keep looking for a job. So I ended up interning part-time for a designer brand and, and actually, and then I found a, a part-time job for a, for, it was like a trading company. So for maybe four or five months, I was doing a part-time internship and a part-time job. Uh, and the part-time, so the part-time internship was like knitwear, that was like knitwear intern. And then the part-time job was I was, what was I doing? Oh, I was a, an assistant colorist mm. for, for like this. They did a lot of like active wear and they did some knitwear as well, but I was a, I was a, an assistant colorist for the active wear side of the business. And, uh, and that was fun because you, you get to like, you know, deal with like Pantone colors and all these cool, you do get to do a lot of like color stuff and checking yeah. color fabrics if they like dyed the color correctly. And, um, that was really interesting. Um, so I did that for a while and then, uh, I wasn't getting paid, you know, I wasn't getting paid. I think I was getting like $10 an hour for the part-time job. And, uh, and after about three or well, after about you know, four or five months of that, I just went to them and I was like, look guys, um, I can't pay my rent. I can't live off of this. So I kind of pushed them to hire me full time. Mm -hmm. Um, and they did. I, I was like, Oh, sweet. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Okay, because I was either going to quit or or I was, uh, you know, I didn't know what to do because I was like, I can't I can't pay my bills. That's just what I told them. I was like, oh, I can't pay my bills. And your so, internship with the designer name was free, unpaid. That was that was like a stipend. Okay. I got like a stipend. So that was, Not much. you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was, like, it was like lunch and travel kind of a thing. Okay, paid for your 250 Metro card. Yeah, there you go, yes. <laughs> $10 lunch, yeah, it was basically yeah. like that. <laughs> and uh yeah so so yeah I was just I didn't know what else to do but to be honest with the you know with the company with the trading company and and I was like um I think I also asked the designer brand you know if, if they could hire me but I mean they you know they couldn't um 
they they had all the positions filled. Like, you know, for the internships are so much more loose. Like they can have a million interns sure. at one time. Um, it doesn't cost them yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's great for them because they have like little workers doing all of like the creative development for them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, I was really nice. I was just really honest with the trading company. I was like, yeah, I just can't, uh, you know, this is New York. Like I can't. I can't pay my bills with this, you know, I need to, I need to figure something out. And they were like, okay. So my boss told her boss and she was like, is there any way we can hire Emily, you know, full time? So I ended up, I, so it was kind of funny. They, they were really nice. They hired me. I was still a part-time color, like assistant colorist, but then I also had another part-time job in another department. So they, they ultimately like gave me a full-time salary Mm. benefits and everything. But I basically worked half time for the an active or the activewear department I worked half time for the knitwear department um and for the knitwear side I I did like tech packs like measuring garments and making sure like the samples were like accurate and yeah. things like um, a lot of the production work yeah yeah so it was, yeah so that was kind of like my start start and then I worked for that company full time for the trading company full time for about 1 year before I moved to Shanghai then and now your move was because of that job. You kind of transferred over there for that company or? No, actually my, uh, my, my boyfriend got a job in Shanghai. So he moved there first. So I was like, okay, so I'll just look for a job there. You know, I was just like, I kept working in New York while he was working there, but I was kind of looking there and, uh, and I was like, that'd be a great opportunity. Anyway, there's so much over there happening in fashion with, um, the factories and there's like yarn mills. There's so much stuff to see in China that's fashion related. So I was like, Oh, be a great opportunity. So, um, I just kind of started looking and asking around and, um, yeah. And then I got, I got a a position in Shanghai and I got to get like a, a, you know, a work visa and everything like that and made it very official. So, so it worked out well. So then I got to stay in Shanghai for quite a few years. Yeah. That's really fun. Um, I mean, really a lot of interesting sort of insights into kind of the realities of like, you know, what you think you're getting into and then what really is going on behind the closed doors and just the different dynamics of how the different companies I work, I think is really fascinating. Um, so I'd love, well, there's a couple other things I want to, I want to ask you about. One is, um, you mentioned to me previously about this whole, um, you said sometimes when people ask you what you do, you're like, oh, I'm a fashion designer. And they kind of like scan you up and down. They're like, well, what are you wearing? So, <laughs> and I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth, but it was, it was a little bit like that. And, yeah, yeah. and so it was this whole like, you know, why aren't you dressed like this magazine cover fashion designer? Yeah, yeah. I think um, people people don't understand that like fashion designers were very – sort of uh, sort of in a way we're very we have our own culture and we're very isolated from other aspects of the fashion industry uh, i recently went to a like a party in shanghai with one of my friends who, who she's like a she's like a fashion blogger and she does like pr kind of like the pr side of like fashion mm-hmm. and so we went to this like absolute vodka party thing and it was just for me it was just like a like culture shock because the PR side of fashion, I just, I'm never in that side. And it's just, it's so overwhelming and everybody's so like pretty and done up. And, and the fashion, the fashion design side of the industry, it's so, it's so like modest and plain and we're very functional. 
we dress very functionally and you know a lot a lot of fashion designers we don't really wear heels like it's very <laughs> like we have places we need to be running to and from you know it's it's there's a lot of um it's a lot of work being a fashion designer and and I think people don't realize sort of the the different that there's so many different sides to the fashion industry and they don't always we don't always overlap you know everybody doesn't overlap with the design side and like the PR marketing side and and you know the factory and production manufacturing side and you know we're all sometimes we're a little bit isolated in our own section of the industry and um and because of this i think fashion designers we definitely have our own culture and our own sort of way way that we dress and the way that we act and do things and it's it's very it's very different from the exposed side of the fashion industry which is like the, the runway shows and the Met galas and the photo shoots and and sometimes we're very we're very separated from those from those kinds of things because um, I think people don't realize that we don't fashion designers don't tend to style and you know we, a lot of fashion designers they hire stylists to to style photo shoots or runway collections it's not usually the fashion designer that's actually doing those kinds of things and it's you know there's a lot of things that people just assume that I guess that the fashion designer is doing but but we're actually not you know we just we mostly just design clothes you know <laughs> like I don't know how to explain it but it's it's a different world that people don't really uh, people that aren't in the fashion industry don't really realize that it exists like for fashion designers yeah well, I think it's probably one of the most common misconceptions is that, you know, it's so glamorous and we like frolic and fabric all day. And, um, I, I need to not say that again on the show because I say that <laughs> little line too many times, but I think that it's, um, you know, there's, and it's maybe not even dissimilar to like, before you go into the industry, when you're in school and like what this whole like fantasy life of being a designer could be versus what the reality of it actually is. Yeah, and I even, because yeah. I was writing an article, well, a few of my articles, and I kept coming across the issue of, I need to figure out a, a clear way to, to when I talk about fashion designers of, like, uh, the big brand names, like Alexander Wang and Philip Lim, like, these fashion, these are, you know, these are considered fashion designers, and fashion designers like me, like, people that work for those brands or people that work inside those brands, and nobody knows who we are, like, like, the, you know, because they're, they're, we're very separate. Like, I'm a fashion designer and so is Alexander Wang. But sure. what we do is very, very different. You know what I mean? Um, so I just, and I, the only thing I could come up with was like calling like people like me and my friends, like us that, that work like nine to five office fashion design jobs, is calling us silent fashion designers. Mm. Because I was kind of like, okay, I just need a differentiating title for like us and for like the big brand people names, because we're not the same. You know, what we do is very, very different. And I think people should recognize that. Um, so now, you know, I think media in general has fashion designers, media has kind of taken the term fashion designers for the big names Diane von Furstenberg and Tori Burch and these kinds of people like, okay, fine. You guys can keep the name fashion designers, <laughs> but like now we need something for us for like the nine to five fashion designers. We, we need a term. Um, so yeah, I, I started calling us silent fashion designers because nobody knows who we are and we, <laughs> we work inside brands. <laughs> yeah. 
I love that. It's like we're the ones that are behind the scenes doing a lot of the grunt work that has to be done. And sometimes it's a little bit creative. Sometimes it's just, just flat out grunt work. Um, yeah, but we do still call ourselves, um, fashion designers, but it's, it's definitely different. You know, the spectrum of what that means, like you just said, can range hugely from you and I to Alexander Wang that there's a big separation there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, I think that needs to be clarified, um, for everyone, for everyone, for yeah. people that are looking to go into fashion, for people that are just see it as a hobby for everybody, because it's just so different. And I don't think people are aware of it. And I don't know why there hasn't been a differentiation set before, because there's just no comparing. Because I tried, you know, I wrote an article, like eight reasons why fashion designers don't dress fashionably. And I was like, okay, so I can explain why the big name fashion designers don't dress fashionably or like why uh, silent fashion designers don't dress fashionably. And again, it was like, those are like two different things that they're hard. It's hard to even compare because mm-hmm. we're like what we don't do. We're both called fashion designers, but what we do in like our culture is very, is very different. And it's, um, I'm like, yeah, somebody has to clarify this because <laughs> <laughs> this needs to be clarified for myself and for everybody else. Just, just so, um, just so everything's a little bit clearer, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I think like for, for all the people who, you know, grow up having this like childhood dream of like being a fashion designer and, and, and it can happen, like you can get there, but yeah. chances are like, just to be realistic about it, chances are not to squash anybody's dreams or aspirations, because like I said, you can get there and you can make it happen. Um, but initially chances are you're going to be this other different, this other reality. And so where can we, where's their opportunity to kind of educate people on a certain level of expectation of what they think they're going into and what they actually get? Like you spend all this money, you pay for a four year degree, you go into this and then you land a job. You're like, what? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Slap in the face. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely a hard, a hard, like thing to realize and a hard transition, but mm. yeah, I think pe- people should know it. And I've had many people you know, where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a fashion designer. And, and they're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And I wish I was a fashion designer. And I hear people say all this stuff. And I'm kind of like, boo, I don't, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, yeah, you want, you just want to let people know, especially people that are seriously interested in it before they go back to school or spend a ton of time or money. Um, you just want them to know what it's really like. And yeah, you can get to that point where you can be a a big brand name fashion designer, but chances are if you get to that point, uh, before you get to that point, you know, you'll be working, you'll be working for companies, um, as like a nine to five designer. Yeah. And you know, you have to, you have to be aware of that, that that could last a really long time before you have the chance to branch off on your own. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I, I remember reading that in the article, but you had talked a lot about like transitioning careers. And so it's not necessarily just this girl or woman who is going to college straight out of high school and going into fashion, but like maybe she's 30, 40, even like 50, whatever age. And she, you know, always wanted to do this. And so before investing in a, a big, you know, re-education and career shift. Um, I think you had some advice on, on what might be some other ways to go about exploring if that was a right 
path for you before you actually like dove into getting a new degree. Am I, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. Did you have to say about that? Yeah. So I, I, I wrote an article about, yeah, like, um, fashion design as a second career because yeah. I have had a lot of friends and friends of friends and acquaintances that are seriously interested in, uh, in fashion or the fashion industry in some way. And, you know, they're doing something very different now, like being, they're an accountant or they're working for the government or, you know, they're doing something that's very unrelated to fashion. Mm-hmm. And they asked me like, oh, you know, how, how can I get into this? Or do you recommend going back to school? What do you recommend if I want to do this in the fashion industry? And so I, I wrote this article about just, just fashion design as a second career. But I think this, this can apply to a lot of different things is um, look for a job first, like a job title that you already have. Like if you're an accountant, try to be an accountant in a fashion design company, mm-hmm. fashion design brand first, you know, do your, do your research first, basically get to know if you want to be a fashion designer, get to know fashion designers, go work with them. You don't have to be a designer, work with them, ask them questions, see what they do on a day-to-day basis. You can eat lunch with them. Then if you're working within a fashion brand, you can see how a fashion company runs. You know, I said, like, if you're a lawyer, try to bring on more, uh, fashion brand, um, clients. So you can also see how, see how the fashion industry runs before you decide to quit your job and go back to school. Uh, Because it's, because exactly, you know, people who have never worked in the fashion industry and they're, you know, they're doing accounting or they're doing something else totally different. They tend to not really know what it's like to work in the fashion industry. So I think, um, just doing your due diligence, doing your research, you know, asking people questions, what it's like, this is, this is what you want to do first before you make a big decision like that. Yeah, that's really smart. I like the concept of like, do your same job title, but just try to do it within a fashion company. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's so many, you know, not everyone can do that, but there are a lot of people that can, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of job descriptions that can, uh, sort of fit within the fashion industry somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and that's, that's how you just sort of like sneak in there, sneak <laughs> in the fashion industry with what you already do. And, uh, and you can learn a lot, you know, you can yeah. sort of see the big picture a lot clearer before yeah. you make any uh, big decisions. Yeah. That's really, really smart advice, um, to just kind of take it slowly and get your feet wet a little bit to see if it's right for you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, I know we're like running short on time. Do you have a few more minutes? I, I have a couple other things I want to throw at you. Sure. Okay. Sure, yeah. Um, so how does all of this, this whole concept of like the realities of being a fashion designer or a silent fashion designers, as you put it, how does all of that then relate to your experience as like launching your own label? Because you have this, you know, you've got both sides of the coin here. Cause a lot of people who launch their own brand, they come out of like something not, they, they don't even come out of the fashion industry. They are an accountant and they have this idea and they jump right into that. Um, and so you kind of have this interesting perspective to be able to compare the two. And so how have the realities of working as a designer translated from your experience as working in-house as an employee versus starting your own brand? Um, it's very different. Like it's, it's, that's also been another sort of like eye opener transition <laughs> in my life besides college to working in the industry from working in the industry to running a business. It's also very, very different. And when I started my first brand, 
it was it was really exciting because I had creative freedom and I you know I did what I always thought a fashion designer was supposed to do which was I got to design collections mm. and I got total creative control over everything from the yarn to the swatch and fabric development yeah. to the garments everything and that was an amazing experience um but I'm realizing now that which is okay I'm but I'm realizing now that owning a business you realize that if it's a small business that you're, you know, funding on your own, most of what you do is also not creative because <laughs> you you have a business to run, you know, <laughs> and uh, you can't just sit around and be a be a creative fashion designer all day. You actually have to, uh, you know, look at your financial books and you have to, you know, upkeep your website and your social media, and uh, you know, there's so many there's so many things involved. Uh, and which has actually been a lot of fun and I've really enjoyed it um, because it's, I like the challenge. At least I feel like I'm, I'm being challenged when I'm running my own business. Mm -hmm. It's, it's also probably not like I thought it would be, but, but it's been an amazing learning experience. And, and again, I love learning. So it, it kind of almost feels like going back to school again, because you learn something new every day. You have a new challenge every single day when you own a business. Yeah. And, um, it's really, it's really hard. It's really hard, but it's, but it's really rewarding every day to wake up and, um, have your own sort of creative vision that you want to fulfill. Um, but you do have to have a lot of patience too, because if, especially if you're a, you own your business on your own, or if it's just one or two of you, progress is pretty slow. So you just have to keep, keep at it. You have to really have a lot of like perseverance and a lot of focus to, run your own business. Whereas when I worked for brands, I felt like, I mean, I honestly didn't really feel like I needed to use my brain very much. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's very different. Like you, you know, when you, when you work for brands and, and other businesses, I feel like, especially as a lower level designer, they don't often share with you the big picture of what they're doing. Mm. Like, 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 like the really big picture of, of the business's goals and vision for whatever, five or 10 years. So you're just kind of doing a lot of little projects that need to be finished that day or in, in a week's time. You know, you're doing a lot of like little, little projects. Whereas when you run your own business, you really have to keep the big picture uh, in mind, you know, you really need to know your, your vision for five years down the road or 10 years down the road. And, and that's really important to keep in mind every single day. Even when you're, you are doing small tasks for your own business, you, you have to have that big picture in mind to know where you're taking your business. Yeah. And there's so many other people like involved in that process when you're at a company that it's really easy, like you said, to get kind of left out of that loop. Yeah, again, you get kind of pigeonholed into one little thing. They just want you to do that one little, just do this, just do this thing. We just need you to do this. We have other people working on the big picture. We have other people working on, you know, the more creative aspects. You know, there's there's other people doing that stuff. Yeah. So, so for you, you know, they just need you to sort of, and it's a lot of execution, I think, especially when you're a lower level designer. You're executing a lot of other people's ideas and creative concepts. You know, they, they tell you what to do. Yeah. Um, so Very it's true. a lot of execution and little jobs like that. And, um, one, yeah, one thing that I always wished working for brands, I wish they, they shared more with me about the big picture. Cause I think 
you can get your employees a lot more excited about your your business when you share more with them rather than just like oh can you just do this print you know that this customer wants like okay can you know can we take a little bit more time and can we talk about this customer and their vision and what they want and I think um, brands could learn a lot about just you know educating their employees a little bit more about about the business and the customer's vision and things like this you know I think it would inspire designers to um, just do do better work and sort of stick around longer and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's really um, a great perspective because I think when you, in any job role, when you like have a vision and an understanding of the bigger picture and the goal, you're a little bit more excited. You're a little bit more inspired and the work can be more fulfilling. Even if at the For end sure. of the day, the task that you're going to do is going to stay relatively the same. Right. Um, you don't just feel like a cog in a wheel, like, okay, do this, do this, do this. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think it makes a big difference. Even if the employee is doing the exact same job, if you just share more information with them about what they're doing, the big picture of what they're doing, okay, you're doing this piece, but this is what it's going to turn into. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's way more exciting and, and you can, I think you can keep employees a lot longer and have a better like satisfaction rate among employees. And, and I think businesses are getting there. I think they're kind of learning this now slowly um because i feel like there's been a lot more talk on online like articles and stuff about employee satisfaction and things like this and employee retention so i think this is becoming like more people are becoming more aware of this but um but yeah when i was when i was working it's you know you you, i get it you know they don't always people are moving so fast there's a lot to get done they don't have maybe the time to to sit down and and show everybody like the big project or the big vision of what's going on. But I think I think it's important. I think companies should should make the time and in, in the schedule to to do more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and sometimes it could just be like an extra couple minutes could really right. go far when you're like handing that project off to somebody. So what a great lesson for like anyone out there listening who's in you know management role or any type of role that has someone under them. Just think about that when you're assigning that task, just spend an extra couple minutes, even if that's all it is explaining, you know, the goal and the bigger picture of what's going on here to get your employee, your assistant, you know, whoever it is that much more excited and engaged, um, and keep them happy because that's really important to keep them happy. It is. Yeah. It's, it's very important. It's very important. And it makes a big difference in in worth a work work ethic yeah and and efficiency i think as well and it, and all it takes is you talking to them a little bit more yeah so smart um so tell where are i i know i read some of your articles on linkedin is that mostly where you publish them and i'll, I'll link to some of them in the show notes the two you specifically talked about the um fashion design is a second career and the um eight things I forget what it was. Eight days. Oh, eight reasons fashion designers don't just fashion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and <laughs> yes. so do you mostly just publish these on LinkedIn? Like what's the best way for people to read all this great stuff you're putting out? Or I don't know if it's, it's randomly here and there. Or... Yeah, it's mostly LinkedIn right now. I'm working on my website. I, I have a website, but it's kind of outdated. So I'm working on updating that and I'm going to start posting more regular blog posts on my website pretty soon. Okay. Um, so yeah, I definitely LinkedIn is a great place to be in touch. Also my my YouTube channel, I stay pretty active on there. If you want to share like my YouTube channel. Yeah, that's uh, great. I will definitely What's the URL? I'll put that in the show notes. 
I'll have to let you know. I'll have to oh, find okay. it. Yeah. All right. Everybody <laughs> will put that in the show notes and I'll put a link to your LinkedIn as well. And then, um, what's, what's the URL of your website? We can add that. And then when it gets updated, it'll be ready. Okay. My website is emilykeller.co. Okay, perfect. And I will put that in there. Um, so great. I'm like really, really excited about everything that you're doing and the, the perspective that you have, um, and that you're, you're having a voice for that perspective, because I think that a lot of people listening are going to say, God, that's exactly how I feel, but it doesn't, it feels like nobody really talks about it. Right. Um, that's, that's how I felt for a long time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, I've heard it from a lot of people. And so I know there's tons more out there who feel that way and just haven't spoken up. And, and, um, so I appreciate that you're out there like talking about this and, um, putting the realities of the industry out there for other people to learn and understand. It's really great. Um, definitely. Yeah. I hope, I hope we can keep, you know, keep making this a, a mainstream conversation. So people, you know, so people are a little bit more aware of, of the industry as a whole. Yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. So much fun chatting with you, Emily. Um, you too. I, I want to end with one question that I ask everybody at the end of the show. And um, I'm very interested to hear your answer um, just because of your perspective on the industry. But it is, um, what is one thing that people never ask you about working in fashion that you wish they did? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Let me think. Um, that's hard. I mean, I would just say, I would just say in general, I wish more people just ask me, ask me if I like it, if I liked it rather than assuming. Cause I feel like mm. a lot of people, I say I'm a fashionist. They're like, Oh, that's so cool. They just assume it's really cool. Mm. And sometimes I'm like, ask me, ask me how I feel. You know, I'm, I'm standing there like staring at them like, no, stop. Just ask me how I feel about it. <laughs> ask me if I really think it's that cool. <laughs> exactly. Like, ask me how I really feel. And they never do. They never, ever, ever. No one has ever actually asked me that. Like, oh, do you like working in fashion? I've never heard anyone say that. Yeah. I love that answer. You're um, the only other answer I've gotten that's kind of similar. But what um, one guy said, ask me if I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Exactly. Gauge yeah. How happy I am. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay. It's like, and I, I get it. Like even, you know, and I try to think, I always try to think the other way around. Okay. If I'm talking to a doctor say, or some, something like that, mm-hmm. and somebody's like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a surgeon or something. And, and you know, I would probably do the same thing. Sure. I would probably be like, oh, that's really cool. You know? Um, but then I think, I think I would be like, you know, like, is that interesting? I would try to ask something about it maybe yeah. then. That's why and I do feel like people with fashion design, people don't tend to ask anything after the, that's really cool. They, they kind of just, you know, maybe they'll ask what you do. They'll be like, so what do you like do on a day, day-to-day basis? You know, sometimes people ask me that. But yeah, but some of you are sometimes just like, ask me, ask me how I feel. Ask me how I feel about being a fashion designer. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that no, answer. It does. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of right now that's like really like, like happens a lot, you know? Yeah. No, you're right though. That is the immediate reaction. Oh my God. That's so cool. How interesting. Yeah. And sometimes you're like, eh, it's really, I don't know. It's, it's like, good. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, I never know what to respond. I'm always kind of like, yes. Okay. <laughs> like, yes, yeah, some, some parts are really cool. Like, yeah, some stuff is really cool, but like, 
but yeah, like I know, I know that when I'm talking to this person, I know that, uh, their idea of what I do and what I actually do is, is very different. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, you know, you kind of know that if it's someone that doesn't work in the fashion industry, you know, that they have no idea what you actually do. Right. But yeah. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Um, oh my gosh, so much fun to chat with you. I really am happy that we connected and this has been phenomenal. Um, thank you so much for being on the show, Emily. This was really, really great. Thanks, Heidi. I had a great time. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to episode 14 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 14. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, it helps the show a lot and makes the podcast easier for people to discover. It's super easy to do, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating, and thanks for your support and help.